Welcome to PwC's Tax Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Readiness Webcast Series, held on March 27, 2019, covering Q1 financial reporting considerations. The panelists for the webcast were Rick Levin, a partner in PwC's Tax Accounting Services Group and U.S. Tax Accounting Services Leader, Luke Shervaney, a partner in the Tax Accounting Services Group, Amber Whalen, a director in the Tax Accounting Services Group, and Brian Croto, a PwC Assurance Partner. This excerpt consists of additional discussion of CAMs, or critical audit matters, the new FASB exposure draft of disclosures, some foreign developments, and some key overall takeaways. Have a listen. Maybe it would help just to say a few words, Rick, just about kind of what the CAM disclosure would look like um, as, as well. Um, the PCOB did provide quite a bit of latitude relative to how one thinks about um, describing a CAM in, in an auditor's report, but there's four criteria. One of those is you have to identify, of course, the CAM it, itself. You have to describe the accounts and disclosures that are affected. You have to describe the principal reasons why you actually have the CAM. You might think about those six factors that were on the previous slide as the kinds of things that drive the CAM. And then ultimately, you have to describe how you address the matter in the audit. And when you think about that kind of a disclosure in areas that the company and audit committee are already very familiar with being challenging and subjective probably to begin with, um, I don't think the, the, the description of these has come as a surprise to, to kind of most management teams and audit committees as we've worked through that process. And that's the thing I think people feel the most uncomfortable about is that description of what are we going to say as the auditor yeah. when we put that, uh, that disclosure in, in our audit opinion. So, um, so it's, it's un, a little unusual that we talk about on our webcast about our own regulators. The, really, the purpose of this webcast is directed at those that are, that are in a financial reporting role in taxes, and you know, we're, we're trying to share information to kind of help them think through the quarterly close. Uh, but this is the type of thing, even though it relates to us and our regulator and what we do as an auditor, it is the type of thing that clients will ask. You know, what can I do? Is there something I can do? Is there a role that I have? Any advice you'd have uh, if you ask that question? Sure. I, I think from the experience we've had in the dry runs, starting early in the year with a conversation between management and auditors and getting the audit committee um, involved early in those discussions as well to understand the auditor's thinking right at the outset of the audit and planning. What are the areas that potentially could be CAMs? And, and, and refreshing that discussion through the year would be helpful. Also, seeing drafts of the CAMs um, you know, as the year progresses, the potential CAMs, obviously things could arise late in the year and we'll have to adjust, obviously, to those facts and circumstances. But I think that could be very useful for a a few reasons. First, it avoids surprises at the end of the audit, but it also allows management to think about their own disclosures in these areas. And it's not suggesting in any way that management has some new obligation relative to their own disclosure criteria, on the one hand. On the other, knowing what auditors may point out as CAMs in their auditor's report might cause management to step back in some cases and think about the clarity of their own disclosures in those particular areas, given the additional attention those disclosures are likely to get, and given that the auditor might actually be describing some kind of more narrow aspect of a particular area of accounting or disclosure. And so certain aspects of the disclosures may get particular attention. Some companies have found that they'd like to think about um, modifying their disclosures in some way to kind of make the connection in a, in a better way so investors or other users aren't confused that the CAM is something broader than they might otherwise think, or to at least have alignment um, and, and working together 
uh, from that perspective, seeing an early draft of what the Kansas might look like, understanding, first of all, I should have said the scope of what it is, and then seeing an early draft of what that might look like can be very helpful, I think, from that perspective. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us and this great insight into the, the camps and, uh, you know, very helpful information. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Amber, here we are 45 minutes into our webcast on financial reporting. And we've not yet talked about perhaps the most, you know, recent development, at least on the regulatory side. And that is the FASB issued earlier this week, in fact, an exposure draft on the, the disclosure, income tax disclosure project. Um, I know you've been through it and, and, read, and read the exposure draft. Maybe not uh, proud to admit it, but it certainly <laughs> did. Uh, any uh, thoughts uh, initially as you read through it? Sure. So this is a new exposure draft, meaning that it will be a re-exposure of some items that were included in the 2016 exposure draft that many of our viewers may remember. Um, there's codification of several existing SEC uh, requirements in Regulation XX, SX. So... Um, there's those items. The FASB has also taken into account uh, comments from that original exposure draft and then the impact of U.S. tax reform. So some of the key items that we see in the exposure draft are the disaggregation between federal and foreign for um, both income or loss from continuing operations and the related tax expense or benefit and cash taxes paid. Hmm. We do have a new requirement for interim reporting, um, which would be cash taxes paid. So importantly, just as I get going here, um, this is not the current requirement. This is proposed. Yeah, that's a good reminder. So, I mean, this, we we're talking about this in our Q1 webcast, but not effective right. yet for, for the that's first right. quarter. So then there are some items that would be removed from existing GAAP as well. So some of those proposed amendments would be um, currently for outside basis differences, if you're not recording a deferred tax liability on your outside basis differences, say because you have an indefinite reinvestment in place uh, assertion, then you would be required to disclose gross timing differences. Mm -hmm. That disclosure would be removed. The so-called unremitted earnings disclosure. That's right. Then another item that would be removed would be um, the amount of uncertain tax positions that you expect to change within the next 12 months. You're currently required to disclose that amount or a range of the estimate, so um, that would also be removed. So those are just some of the key highlights. Um, I think the FASB has put 11 specific questions in the exposure draft that they're requesting comment on. Certainly you can comment on any of the items and the comment period will end on May 31st. So it's coming up fairly quickly. So to the extent people are excited about one of these items and want to comment, Go ahead and get those moving. Yeah, really, just around the corner. In fact, uh, it doesn't. It sounds like it's a ways off, but we get through the quarter close, and it's, it seems to be right upon us. Um, I want to make sure we get to um, our last topics. We have enough time to talk about legislative updates. It's it's part of our agenda. We think is important just to to share with folks um, as they head into the end of the quarter here. Any recent legislative developments that have come up, just helpful to have an eye on what those might look like. So, Luke. Uh, Anything going on in Q1 that folks should be aware of that uh, is worth uh, going over here? There is. And pardon me for looking at my notes. I can't remember all this. So, um, <laughs> No judgment being passed. <laughs> so two, two things um, uh, to be thoughtful around from an enactment perspective. Um, the UK Finance Act of 2019 was enacted in February. Um, it reintroduced uh, rules around tax depreciation as well as... Um, tax amortization on goodwills and intang goodwill and intangibles. 
um, as well as uh, changes to uh, account and track for certain assets. In addition to the UK, uh, be looking at Belgium. Um, they've enacted uh, rules on interest deductions in line with uh, the ATAD requirements. So, um, uh, UK and Belgium, I'd be looking at from an enactment perspective. And then there's a series of jurisdictions that continue to have proposals um, in, in process. Um, so not yet enacted for the quarter, but proposed? Not yet enacted. Okay. So uh, Japan is one of them. Um, they have, they have uh, proposals out surrounding a whole host of things, interest restrictions, transfer pricing, CFC rules, as well as R&D incentives. Um, I will mention uh, Brexit. Um, Brexit, we're still in a holding pattern. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to continue to monitor the developments around Brexit to make sure we're, we're doing the right things in the right period. But as of today, we're still in a holding pattern. Um, digital. Uh, we started to talk about digital in Q4. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the last time we're going to be talking about digital. No. <laughs> so um, the OECD is currently working on an agreement to address um, tax, the, the, the impact of digitalization on, on tax, um, and they're aiming to have stuff out by 2020. Um, it, it could be pretty significant across, um, across several jurisdictions. In the meantime, several jurisdictions on an individual basis are looking at their own uh, potential laws around uh, digital taxes. France is one of them who has a proposal out that would be, um, it's proposed, so it's not enacted, but um, based on the current proposal, it would be levied at 3% on revenues from relevant services that they've currently defined as digital. Um, so I, I don't have all of them listed, but I know there's various other jurisdictions in addition to France that have digital tax proposals on the table right now. So whether it's the OECD's initiative, whether there's individual jurisdictions, as the proposals get further along, um, from an accounting perspective, we're going to have to think about um, the accounting implications of those digital taxes. Um, and certainly, like I said, I think this is going to be a topic that we're talking about again down the road. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think when we first started talking about digital, even in our last quarterly webcast, it was really from the context of it looking like it was going to be above the line just on some of the early discussions. Yep. What's interesting that's happened here in the last few months and even few weeks when you talked about the, the OECD, uh, it seems to be broadening from that. It's mm -hmm. really now more like a BEPS 2.0 or, or really looking at uh, a broader way or different way of international taxation. Yep. And I think from that perspective, it's just going it, to, it's likely to mean it will have an impact on ASC 740 or at least on, on pre-tax income and then, of course, the tax expense that goes along with yep. that. But then some other interesting concepts that are discussed, like the, the min tax, you know, the mm -hmm. fact that the rest of the world is kind of interested in our guilty rule and thought that that might be kind of interesting. So think of all the times we've talked about guilty in our own, uh, here on our webcast, in our, as we think about U.S. tax reform. So I think definitely, as you said, it's going to be one that um, we'll see more of that uh, in, in the months to come and, and, you know, certainly when the OEC wraps up their work in 2020. Right. Okay, well, I think we've got time for a few questions. If you guys are up for it, what do you think? Let's do it. Yeah? All right. Um, Brian, we've got a couple questions going back to CAMS, but I, I think what might be interesting to get some of your perspective, just bigger picture when you think about the, the changes to the auditing standard, 
Where do you see this going? You know, we got CAMs. What do you, what do you kind of see that using your inside knowledge, if you will, some kind of the next steps? Yep. Well, I think it's important to point out that it's, it's really early days here, right? We haven't yet adopted. We don't really know how uh, investors, other stakeholders will actually use CAMs. And we actually will we'll go through a two-year period before everyone gets to the point of, of adoption for those audits where it's applicable. And so, um, you know, certainly we will be closely monitoring um, and, and, and thinking about whether there's any course correction or adjustment necessary. Uh, we'll be working together um, with others in the, in the profession through the Center for Audit Quality and other resources to uh, assess kind of the implementation. And, and then and I know that the PCOB has plans to carefully uh, monitor, as does the SEC, uh, monitor the implementation and, and make sure that the uh, desired effects and benefits are being achieved, if you, if you will. So it's really hard to predict um, how this will evolve. I, I would say, though, that uh, given the nature of what we are about to undertake and implement, uh, and, and, and given that it's the first time we've really done something like this relative to kind of free-form writing, if you will, in the auditor's report, it won't surprise me if, if it evolves and changes over time. And so I think this monitoring effort um, is, is going to be an important one. I suspect there'll be opportunity for lots of public input in that process, whether that be through PCOB processes or through your auditor or, or otherwise. There'll be opportunities to provide input. Uh, and, and so I, I, it's hard to predict. It's hard to predict where this will, this is sort of 1.0, if you will, where this, where this goes to in, in the future and whether there's a, uh, additional rulemaking from a PCOB perspective or just sort of adjustment and refinement uh, of approach over time. We'll, we'll certainly have to have to see and, and get a sense for it. Interesting. Thank you. Um, another question, Amber. So we we've um, just briefly touched on the exposure draft. We didn't really we used it as one of our questions while folks were answering a polling question. But anything else to add? You, I know you've spent a lot of time with it. If, if you just kind of think about what is in the exposure draft. Sure. So I mentioned that the FASB has 11 questions in there that they're specifically requesting yeah, feedback yeah, yeah. on. So I think a few of those might catch people's attention. One would be on the disaggregation of federal and foreign um, income before tax. It's specified in the exposure draft as on a pre-consolidation basis. So they're requesting feedback as to the operability of that disclosure. Mm -hmm. And then also on the disaggregation, further disaggregation of the foreign amounts down to a country by country level um, is a question that they've put out there. Is that something that people would want to see? Is that operable? And then on the effective tax rate reconciliation, um, the exposure draft includes an amendment to codify the 5% rule, as we call it, from yep. the SEC regulations. Yep. So 5% of pre-tax timeshare stat rate. Um, so the board's asked, is 5% the appropriate threshold? And if you're suggesting another threshold, provide the basis for that. So those are just a few things that people may want to consider commenting on. Yeah, I know that that last one in particular is something that we got a lot of questions about for year-end is the first time people were dealing with the lower threshold and even heading into year-end, you know, as they were preparing to try to figure out how they were going to uh, comply with that lower threshold. So interesting question. I'm sure we'll get some comments on that one in particular. Um, Luke, I, I got—I can't leave you out, right? <laughs> You're probably saying yes, you can. <laughs> um, we talked earlier about a question that came up from the audience on tax planning strategies, but it was coming from the point of view of effective tax rate planning. Mm -hmm. We've now got some follow-up questions about what does this mean in the valuation allowance context? Because the word tax planning strategy means something in the guidance yep. when you're talking about valuation allowance assessments. Uh, and the question is specifically strategies versus actions. You could, could you 
differentiate between the two. There's another area where there tends to be a lot of confusion. Sure. Okay. So maybe taking a step back, there's there's four sources of taxable income to realize deferred tax assets. There's reversals of deductible temporary differences. There's carryback. Um, there's future taxable income, and there's tax planning strategies. So, tax planning strategies. ASC 740 specifically uh, defines a tax planning strategy. There's criteria as to whether or not something can qualify for a tax planning strategy. They say that um, the strategy must be prudent and feasible. It must be something that's being done specifically to um, uh, not have uh, an attribute expire unused. Um, and that it ultimately will result in the realization of the deferred tax asset. So that, those criteria, that those need to be met in order for something to be considered a tax planning strategy as one of those four sources of future taxable income. Um, dif different from that, separate from that, companies may take tax planning actions um, that occur in, during the course of business. And a tax planning action may not fit into those four things, as I just said, like one of those four definite, those four specific items, but a tax planning action is taken, and the tax planning action obviously will have an impact on estimates. Um, so if the tax planning action is, is commencing in the period or in the near term, that would be factored into the accounting and the estimates in that period for, for the client. But there is technically a separation between what is a tax planning action versus a tax planning strategy in the context of the evaluation allowance assessment. Hopefully that addressed the question. I, I think that should do it. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. And we do get that question a lot as people get yeah. confused with, with the nuance there. Uh, and I said, I think we've had a great discussion here today, a lot of great topics. Um, Amber, ladies first, what, what's your key takeaways from today? My key takeaway is just to take a fresh look at your disclosures. Um, look at your estimated annual effective tax rate. If you're saying that an exception applies, for example, you cannot reliably estimate ordinary income or loss, or you have the loss jurisdiction exception that you're looking at, those are things that you'll likely want to disclose. And then as we see the exposure draft comment period go by, and we expect future releases from the FASB to stay up to date on those items. Excellent. Lou, your thoughts? Um, I think I'll say the, uh, I'll kind of stick to the U.S. tax reform and some of the points we talked about before. I think for me the big takeaway is that we continue to live in a very complex environment mm -hmm. um, around the, the U.S. tax law and the fact that we have still several uh, waves of proposed and final regulations coming. I think you said it. I mean, if, if we have goals out there of June 30th, so there's going to be a lot happening. There's, there's things that have happened this quarter. There's going to be things that are happening next quarter. And um, dealing with the accounting and disclosure around those events, um, getting the accounting done right, the disclosure explained in the proper period is important. And then, as I mentioned, on, on the non-U.S. side, series of law developments that are continuing to happen. So U.S. tax law, non-U.S. tax developments, lot, lot to be monitoring over the course of the year. Great. Brian, bring us home. Sure. So on critical audit matter reporting, I would say, you know, whether your auditor is going to be implementing this year or in 2020, start early in terms of engaging either in a dry run, if it's going to be a 2020 adoption, or for this year in planning relative to ultimately what will be reported as CAMs in, in final audit reports for this year. And then, and then secondarily, uh, not only start early in the conversations with your auditor, but think about your own disclosures 
in any considerations you might want to make relative to the linkage between CAMS and, and company disclosure. Outstanding. Well, thank you for joining me today on the, on the panel. And we had, a, as I said, a great conversation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please contact the speakers. Their contact information is in the description of this episode. Thank you. Thank you.